What's up, guys? Welcome back to In My Non-Expert Opinion podcast. I'm your host, Chelsea Reif, and today we're back with part two of my Living Abroad and Euro Trip recap with Brianna Lickegaard from last week. This time we go a little more into the Danish side of our trip where we went to Copenhagen and Brianna actually lives there now with her two kids and husband. So it's really interesting to hear her perspective of actually living there and raising kids there where we were just there to basically party and have a good time. So you guys will hear all from her, the customs, the Danish traditions, the food. Oh my God, it's the best food on the planet. I don't know why I didn't know that, but I would go back to Denmark solely to have the food for like 10 days. It was insane. So we discussed that. We play a little game of Spanish or Danish to see where Brianna's preferences lie. And we overall just talk about adjusting to living abroad again, especially as my trip to Australia is right around the corner. So I hope you guys found this informational and find some value in the tips that we provided. If you remember last week when I ended the podcast, Brianna is actually super open to helping people out. If you DM her, she'll create a custom little itinerary for you because she's been to so many places and understands people's preferences. So I would definitely take her up on that versus booking a travel agent where you're gonna have to pay some money. Brianna loves helping people out. So definitely take her up on that offer. And make sure if you guys find value here that you rate, review, subscribe, or leave a review and share it on your Instagram stories. It really helps book different guests and just get visibility out there. This is a free podcast, so you can consider that payment. So without further ado, let's jump into part two. What about when we said we were coming there, did you start making a list in your head or were you like, you know what, let's just like see what happens when you guys get there? Um, Basically, if someone was going to visit Barcelona for the first time, what would you tell them to do? So I actually had a running list going because when I lived there, I went back and forth between making a blog and helping people when they're visiting. So I already had a list going, but I definitely added to it. And then when you guys said, okay, we booked it, we're going, I was like, okay, you know what? I know exactly where we should go. I know where we should eat. And now to this day, when people reach out and say they're going, I always kind of want to make it more personal and be like, okay, if you're going to Barcelona, what's your budget? What do you want to see? Do you like food? Do you like attractions, museums? Because there's so much to see there, but everyone has such a different experience. Like you could go there and literally only speak English and only go to American places and only see the most touristic areas. Or you could go there and eat Spanish tapas and dance flamingo and go to the Picasso Museum. Like there's so many different options. So I like, honestly, when people reach out to me so that I can tell them exactly where to go based on their budget. And are they going married? Are they going with kids? Are they going as single girls? Like, I don't think everyone should go and eat and drink and party at the same place. That makes sense. Because to your point, if I'm like trying to meet guys and get wasted and do brunch, like that's a totally different experience than someone that's like, you know what? I want a kale smoothie today after I do a walk on the beach. Exactly. And when you, and I know you guys so well. So when you booked it, I was like, okay, I can base this off what I wanted to do when I was single and living in Barcelona. I'm not going to take you to a park where I would take my girls or, you know, me and Casper's first date, I'm going to take you where I remember going and seeing a bunch of guys or here's a view of the beach and everyone is young. I mean, that's what you guys want. 
And for me, I think that's fun too. So it was just nice to go and do something different because me and Casper have gone back before we had kids. And so we've had different experiences there, but it it was nice to go with single girls and kind of relive what I did when I lived there. Yeah. Pre Casper. (laughs) Exactly. By the way, guys, you guys need to follow Brianna and tell her to start a blog. I always tell her to make a travel guide blog and she won't do it. So this is a PSA for all my listeners to tell her to start a travel blog. Or they can just direct message me and I will give them the best advice. <laughs> you really will. She'll personalize an itinerary, but I we will. won't be public because she's a good writer too. Okay. You know what I'm going to do that I just thought of? Let's do two perspectives of Barcelona of top three everything. So what I mean by that is... The itinerary you gave us, because we were single girls, let's do top three restaurants that we should eat at if we want like a Spanish experience or like a fun experience, Instagrammable experience, like oh, definitely. top three for single girls just like wanting to have fun and cute pics. Okay, this is so easy for me. So number one would be Nationale. Do you remember we went there? Yes, love them. I believe it used to be a parking garage, but it's six different restaurants in one space and it's beautifully decorated you can definitely instagram it but you can have local spanish tapas you can have cava and oysters you can have fresh seafood so there's really something for everyone and you get like this sense of vacation and like it's very intimate i don't know i think it's a really beautiful place i think no matter if you're married single I think everyone should go to Nationale. That's that's my top pick. Um, my second would probably be Boca Grande, where we went for lunch. That was delicious. The bathroom is incredible. The it's an experience. The club at night that we like didn't know about. It it's does. Hard to explain to say that a bathroom turned into a club, but like Google it because I was shook by the bathroom, and then all of a sudden we saw people on Instagram stories, partying in this bathroom. Exactly. Like it really is an experience and it's not just Instagrammable or an experience, but the food is phenomenal. Like truffle, gnocchi, you can have Spanish jamón serrano, whatever you want, you can get there. And I think the menu del dia was 30 euro for a lunch. It's a little bit on the higher range, but I think it's worth it because the quality is good and it's it's also a beautiful restaurant. And my third pick, which we actually didn't get to go to, but it's it's really nice. It's called Bodega 1900. And there's a famous chef called Ferran Adria and he owns Tickets Barcelona. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but he makes like a liquid olive at this famous restaurant, but you can actually get it at the smaller restaurant, Bodega 1900, and you can have classic vermouth, which is kind of like a stale Coca-Cola tasting. I don't know if I'm selling it well enough, but it's very good. I know you have good taste, so I feel like we should trust you. And it is traditional vermouth. If you go to Barcelona, you have to have cava and you have to have vermouth. So I think Bodega 1900 is very good for tapas, vermouth, and it's something a little different, but still very traditional. Yeah. What about top clubs? Pick three clubs off the top of your head that you would suggest to go to. 
off the top of my head would be Bling Bling, Shoko, and either Opium or Sutone. So I'm going to give you four. Four. Okay, we have four options. These are like quick fire questions. So people, if you want to know, you need to write this down when you go to Barcelona. Those are your four clubs. What about attractions that are like specific to Barcelona that you couldn't find anywhere else? Okay, so I would say the biggest one being the Sagrada Familia. Yes. What people don't realize is that Gaudi is the one that designed it, but he also has two houses that he designed on the Pase de Gracia. We went to one, which was nice, but there's one across the street which I wanted to take you girls to, but it was, the rooftop was closed because it was raining. Um, but I would highly recommend doing either of the Gaudi houses. The Sagrada Familia is great. And then he's also known for Parkwell. What did you think about Parkwell when you girls went? Okay, I loved it, but I thought it was going to be a little bigger and more interactive, if that makes sense. Definitely. Um, and just like walk around and figure it out. Like you could definitely get a pamphlet and I think there were specific guides that you could walk up to, but based on other tours that I've been on, there was just way more like here, stop here. And this is what this is about. Now we're going to go to this section of the park and this is what this is about. But then on the flip side, I kind of like that because it's like you could tour it at your own pace and be like, okay, I want to like just sit here and enjoy the view or I'm going to read the pamphlet and see what's the history behind here. But it's definitely like a park, you know what I mean? It's like, it's not go from one room to the other and jump around and look at this artwork and that artwork because the whole thing itself is like a piece of art. No, definitely. And I think when you girls mentioned it, I even said like, it's not at the top of my to-do list because for me, it's more of, it's more like, and I hate this term and everyone uses it now and I've already said it, but like the Instagrammable term, I feel like that is why people go to Parkwell. It is beautiful and you take amazing pictures there. But I kind of like the Gaudi houses better because you can put on a headset. They're explaining to you what was going on in that time, what you're looking at. And for me, I appreciate that a little more than just taking a nice picture. But I mean, if you're staying for multiple days, I would say do as much as you can. Go to that. Go to the Gaudi house. Go to Sagrada Familia. Um, But besides those specifically, I think. Um, the Sutra Day Park is beautiful. Do you remember we walked through? Oh, that, was, yeah, that was like a beautiful park. Exactly. So you have the Arc de Triomphe. You walk through it and people are performing. There's bubbles. There's families. There's young people. There's bachelor parties. And then you can walk through the park and you see this beautiful fountain. And it's almost like a hidden gem because I feel like a lot of people don't go there for that but it is very beautiful um and then another experience that I highly recommend which unfortunately we didn't get to do together is that you have to go to the gothic quarter and born so there's born and gothic and they're across the street from each other and they're I mean they're just so beautiful so historic Every bar, every cafe in that area is cute. And you just really feel like you're in Spain. Whereas the other places, you kind of feel like you're, uh, it's a little more touristy. 
So when you go to Bourne and you go to Gothic, you really feel like, okay, I booked a flight. I'm in Spain. I think it's, I, I highly recommend just getting lost in either area. Right. So those are areas that we didn't get to go to, but that you would recommend. Definitely. Yes. What about things that people could skip on? Like, let's say there was a layover, because this happens a lot where people have like a six to eight hour layover that they can go in the city and they think, oh, I should do this, this and this. And then they get there and they're like, wait, what? This statue is one foot like big. Like, why did I see this? Or wait, what? This park is like nothing. Why did I come here? What would you say is like skippable if you had a layover? Okay, so people are going to hate me for my answer. (laughs) (laughs) But I think it would be Parkwell for me. I I would agree because I feel like, like you said, the Instagrammable pictures make you think that you're going to go and have this experience that is like, oh my gosh. But then like you said, I got there and it was like, everyone was just basically waiting in line to get in this one spot to take the cool picture where the, the, like, what's it called? Steeples are like coming out from behind them and there's the city. Like exactly what I was doing. And I feel like no one actually knows why they're there, what the history, what the culture is. They're literally just there to take a picture, and that's fine. But for me, when people mention it, I usually am like trying to kind of persuade them to do something else. But, I mean, it's definitely beautiful. And if you end up there, of course, you're going to have a good time. You're going to take amazing pictures. But I would say I think... That's the number one pick of probably, no, you know what? I'll change that. That's number two. Number one would maybe be the Rambla. Las Ramblas is just a street filled with chain restaurants and basically like imposter Spanish restaurants. I don't know. It's not anything to see. And when people hear Barcelona, they usually say Las Ramblas. There's really nothing there. Well, there's nothing there. That's the place I found out when we studied abroad where we stayed. And then you told me, you're like, that's probably the most touristy, like not real Spanish area in all all of Barcelona. And that's where I had stayed for like five days. Exactly. And you had mentioned, oh, do people get pickpocketed? Or I've heard Barcelona is huge. If you're going to get pickpocketed, it's there because they're literally looking for tourists to steal from. Yeah, it is a tourist trap, honestly. It's just one long street. And I'm not even sure to this day why people go there. I still don't, like, I really don't know. It's just a couple restaurants. And it's, I mean, there is like the Bojoria, which is a beautiful market off a side street of it. But I don't know. For me, I would say that would be number one. When you go to Barcelona, just avoid Las Ramblas. Or if you do don't make it a big point in your trip to go there. If you happen to walk past or walk down it, that's fine. But I wouldn't say it's like a point of interest. Okay. So we can skip Las Ramblas and Parkwell. What do you think was the best part of your trip and the worst? And I can tell you my best and worst too. Okay. You go first and I'll think about it. Okay. I would say my best was the day that we were just walking along the beach and we impromptu decided to go to that bar there's this cute bar on the beach. I don't even remember what it's called. There's just a ton of cute little bars on the beach. And we were each going to get just one glass of rosé and keep walking. And then we ended up splitting like two bottles of rosé. And we all went around and talked about what we were thankful for or grateful for. And I feel like it was just one of those conversations that 
it's rare to have four people just be like so into the moment that no one was like, okay, let's wrap it up and like move on. And no one was being weird about money and no one was like talking shit. You know what I mean? It's like, there's always one person that's like negative or wants to leave or is just like not contributing to the conversation or it's just like a service level conversation. And I feel like that was one of the times in the trip that I was like, wow, this is just like the best time. Like I felt so high vibe after that and like uplifted and we had so much fun. And I, I feel like it was a bonding moment for all of us. And then I would say, I don't, I wouldn't say worse. I guess it's just things that I almost wish I would have done that were kind of like classic Barcelona. Like you said, the Gothic quarter, like I didn't get to see that. I do wish we actually spent at least like half a day on the beach, like laying out and like drinking around there. And then probably the W because I hear that's like iconic in Barcelona at the rooftop and we didn't do that. But we also have to remember when you guys are traveling, you have all these plans in your head, but you're also jet lagged. We went out till 6am, two nights back to back. So after those nights, we weren't up and at it with a lot of energy. So that would be like a learning tip for anyone going is yes, you can plan all the things you want to do. Like I thought since we were there for four and a half days that we'd be able to squeeze in everything. And we didn't just because someone's sleeping in, someone takes longer to get ready. Everyone wants to sleep because you went out till 6am. It was just like, okay, we have to adjust schedules and prioritize. So I guess those are just things I, I would have done differently. Um, but not like, I don't think I was like a worse part that I was like, wow, like that sucked never dealing with that again. I have to agree with you on both parts. My favorite part was hands down when we, we started off at Foc, which is also a great place to start. That's where we ran into the Portuguese guys and we had a pitcher of Cava Sangria and we started talking. Everyone started drinking a little bit. And when we walked from the beach to the beach bar, that was called uh, Deliciosa, the one where we had the bottles of rosé. So once we got there, it was like phones down, real talk, and just like girl time. That's when we really started opening up, laughing. And that, I think, is what makes a girl's trip. It's not about planning and what you should do. Like you said, you can plan all you want, but you should have low expectations when you're traveling with other people. Because you can't expect other people to be on your time. And what works for you might not work for someone else. And you could get ready so fast. But if your roommate or whoever's sharing a hotel room with you takes longer to get ready, there's really nothing you can do about it. So I think that's good to keep in mind when you're traveling with girls. But once we got to the beach bar, I think it was so nice that we all could just enjoy each other's company. And that's actually when I ended up, remember, I or my husband booked my ticket. He switched my ticket so that I could stay longer. Yes. Because I was like, oh my God, we're having so much fun. We're at the beach. We're on our second bottle of rosé. I wish I could stay an extra night. And then he changed my flight and was like, okay, you'll fly home Monday. We all love Casper. I always tell her, can you clone Casper? Shout out to Casper. <laughs> I will. I will. But yeah, so I think that was my favorite memory from the trip. And I would say, honestly, my least favorite, I know this hands down, was the weather. It was so weird to me. I lived there twice. I'm telling you, I could count on one hand how many times I experienced rain. And when we booked this trip and when it was raining 
every single day when that I woke up. That was so weird. I totally forgot about that because that's why the rooftop was closed. And then when we kept going to other rooftops, like we couldn't even go outside or take pictures or anything because they're like, sorry, it's raining. Like you can't do anything. Right. And I wasn't used to that. I mean, they're known for their weather. They have great weather. And to get there and it to like to be raining, Barcelona is meant to be enjoyed outside. So when it is raining, it's a little bit of a turn off to do certain things. So I think I do think that would be my biggest downfall, but it was so minor in the whole story that everything still exactly I didn't go home and think about it twice okay so we recapped Barcelona you gave us all the ins and outs including moving there so people should have a pretty good handle on what to do not only if they visit but move there and of course you have a full um, itinerary service in your dms that you offered so people take her up on that we'll obviously link her instagram handle in the show notes but we need to cover Copenhagen, because that is where we ended up going on the last leg of the trip and where you currently live with your husband because he's Danish. So what are some major things that you notice are just totally different about Danish people and even guys specifically? Okay, so this is easy. I mean, my biggest like moment of, wow, I'm in Denmark, was how they dress, how they treat people, and also like I feel like they really are genuine people. When I first met his friends, nobody was on their phone. And if somebody called them or something, they would look me in the eye and be like, oh, I'm sorry, one second, I have to take this. And like step away, take the phone call and come back. And I really appreciate that because my number one pet peeve is like people on their phones. Or if we're all in a big group setting and somebody is like checking their Instagram or something. I'm like, can you just wait? So I really appreciated that when I came here, all the guys were the same in the sense that they really give you their time and they're genuine. They're asking into you. They want to know what you like to do. What are your hobbies? Where did you come from? And I think that's really nice and refreshing. I noticed that when we went out to dinner, there was actually a night that you couldn't make it out and Casper's two friends were going to dinner and you said you should go with them. And I was like, I don't know. Me and Amelia don't really know these guys. Like, yeah, we had met one of them, but I'm like a full blown dinner. You know, one of the guys is super fun and he parties like, I guess we'll go. And then we got there and everyone was there with their girlfriends and their couples. And I was like, great, we're going to be the outsiders. And immediately the couples broke from each other's side at the table and sat next to us. And I was like, oh, must be fighting or like must not be in a good mood because he's sitting next to me like, oh, great, going to be drama at the end of this dinner. And then you're like, no, that's literally so normal for people to genuinely like welcome outsiders and genuinely want to sit down and get to know you that they are willing to sit next to you at dinner the entire three hour dinner. 100%. And I think that's also a big thing here is people don't feel the need to hold hands and make out with each other when you're in a group setting it's like you're comfortable in your own relationship you don't have to be sitting on top of each other so when you do go out me and Casper don't sit next to each other every lunch and dinner with his friends I mean everyone knows we're married you don't have to prove yourself to anybody and also I think the biggest difference here is that guys and girls can be friends and I think for me personally 
when I was in college, that didn't really exist. Like if a guy was pursuing you, it was always to hook up with you. It was never for a friendship. And here people are genuinely like friends with each other. It doesn't matter. Like they have large friend groups and it's mixed. It's guys and girls. And it's, there's no like sexual tension. Yeah, of course there is sexual tension in some, but for the most part, it it's just genuine, fun, wholehearted friendships. And I really appreciate that too. I think it's so fun and it was so nice, nice too because when that dinner happened, I could tell it wasn't what's the word I'm looking for. It wasn't like a fake intention of like, yeah, I'll sit by you, but like I don't actually care what you're doing here. Like Axel was the guy that sat next to me and he was so nice that I was like, is this real? Like, is his girlfriend okay with this? Like he's genuinely asking questions. We're laughing. We're giggling. He's showing me like how to cut this type of food. Cause I've never had it. And I was like, in America, this would literally look like I'm hitting on your boyfriend. There's going to be a, a little discussion after this. There's going to be some drama and we're not sitting apart again. Like that was my expectation. So we were blown away by the end of the dinner that we were all like, good friends. Even the girlfriend was like giving us the best tips, wrote a list of all the gardens to go to. I was like, I'm not used to this type of interaction at a meal, especially not with guys and girls. No, I totally agree. And that's what I mean when I say genuine or authentic, like people are really looking into you and wanting to get to know you here. And there's no competition when it comes to other girls or it doesn't matter if you're in a relationship or not. It's just about like getting to know you as a person. And I think that is the best part about the people here. But I will admit that it is hard to get into a friend group here or harder um, than say if you move to Barcelona, a city filled with expats, a city filled with people that are not from there. So everyone's in the same position, whereas Denmark has closer friendships. They've all known each other since elementary school or middle school. His Casper's mom still to this day goes on a yearly or two trips a year with the girl she went to elementary school with and she's in her 60s. I mean, it just doesn't exist. People here are very close-knit and very, what is the word? They're really... Like close-knit is the word or like... Yeah, I guess close-knit would work. But I mean, uh, in a way though, there is like an exclusivity of being here and... Honestly, I think it's easier to come here with a Danish spouse as opposed to if I was married to an American and then I moved here. I think, honestly, it is harder to find friend groups within Danes. That's true because it's also a totally different language. So what about the dating culture outside of making friends? Is it similar to the U.S.? And I guess to like give you a baseline of the U.S., I feel like people here are always keeping their options open. Like We always hear that line where... You have a girl you get drinks with. Then you have a girl that's a late night hookup. Then you have a girl that you're really trying to pursue. And you're like, I would want to bring this girl home to my mom. And the same way with guys. Is it like that where you're like constantly going on dates and, you know, you go to drinks with one guy, then you go to a baseball game with another guy. Like what is the dating scene in Copenhagen? So I actually just asked Casper this earlier and he makes fun of me because I always put a label on everyone here. So when his friends were going on dates or hooking up with a girl, I'd be like, 
oh, so you guys are dating? And he's like, why do you keep saying that? Like, they hooked up once or they went for dinner. Like, they're not dating. They went out to dinner. So I think he was saying that it's more casual here. You don't say you're dating unless you're exclusive. So you can go on dates or you can meet up with people, go for dinner, whatever. But until you both decide that you want to be monogamous, you're not seeing other people. It's not until then that you would consider yourself dating each other. So unless it's your boyfriend or girlfriend, you don't say you're dating. Exactly. Okay. You would say, I'm seeing this girl. And you're more open to it too. I think in Denmark, you tell your friends and even like in your friend group, like you're like, hey, I went out to dinner with this girl and I'm seeing this girl. And I think in America, it was a little more mysterious. Like sometimes you would hook up with someone and maybe you don't tell everyone. Yeah. Because you don't want the rejection of the guy if he doesn't reach back to you or whatever the case. Or maybe that was just my experience. But I think it's a little more open here and you talk about everything to your close friend group. But you never say you're dating unless you're exclusive. And I think maybe we're more quick to see a guy or go on one date and be like, yeah, so we're seeing each other and blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, you might think that, but maybe he doesn't. Right. What about like hookups and one night stands? Like, is that happening over there? I mean, I'm sure this is in every country, but I mean, is it as like, prominent there versus another country or is it just like hush hush like what's your I know you're married so you would have to talk to other people but like what are you hearing about this situation I mean all of Casper's friends are young none of them are married so I hear all of the stories and it definitely happens here but I do find that the guys here are still more chivalrous like They are taking these girls out for a nice dinner and drinks, and then they hook up. Whereas in America, I feel like you go out, you get too drunk, you hook up, and you're embarrassed, or you reach out the next night when you're drunk again, hoping he'll text you back. I don't really think it's the same here. I feel like people communicate a little better, and the guys treat the girls a little nicer with a little more respect. I would say that's my perspective just based off who I dated in the past. So maybe I picked all the wrong guys. (laughs) Maybe I just picked every shitty guy in college. So that's why I'm saying that. But for the most part, I feel like honestly, the guys do treat the girls better here. They have more respect. They wine and dine them and go from there. What about if you're going out to a bar or club? Like, is it something where you can expect the guy to come up and approach you like it is in America? Or does the girl need to be more aggressive? Or is it just like, let it happen and see who approaches who first? Like, what are your thoughts on that? I would say that in America, we're all just a little more outgoing in general, the guys and the girls. So when we go out, we're like wild animals. We're talking, we're buying each other shots. We're dancing. We're like, we don't even know their name, but we're like grinding on them. We're just a little more involved. And I think in general as a whole in Europe, I remember my first experience in Barcelona 
I said like, Hey, I have this apartment. I'm in the city center to the guy I had previously known. I said, bring all your friends and we'll have a pregame. And he literally showed up with like eight other guys. And that was his friend group. There were no girls. And I'm like, Oh, okay. They're going to, you know, try to hook up with all of us. Wow. No, they didn't care. Like they were a group of guys wanting to go out to have a fun time. They were ready to go dance, to take shots. They weren't like on the prowl looking for girls or looking to go home with anyone. They were all in it for a memorable, fun night. And I appreciate that. And I think it is the same here as well. A lot of times when I first moved here and Casper's friends would come over or we would meet up and they were hungover. They had gone out the night before. And my first question always was like, okay, like, who did you hook up with? What girl? And they're like, oh, no one. Or like, it was fun. And I talked to this girl, but I don't know, we weren't interested in each other. And I was kind of embarrassed that that was the first question I would ask them. Because now looking back, I'm like, oh, first of all, that's pretty personal. Like, why am I asking these guys who they hooked up with? But I'm realizing like, to them, it's not everything. And they were they were out to have a good time. So I do think as an American coming abroad, if we do have the upper hand of going and approaching guys, like that is how I met people in Barcelona. I was the one going up. That's how I met my group of Spanish friends. I went up and was like, Hey, hi, what are you doing? Who are you? Where are you from? I would always talk to them first. I, I barely remember when people would approach me first, I was always the one to start the conversation. And once I became friends with all of them later on, they kind of all made fun of me. Like, you know, Americans are so outgoing and so crazy. You girls are so wild. And I do get it. Like I am louder than the average Spanish girl or Danish girl, but I, I don't know. I think it's fun and that's who I am. So I do adjust to culture, but when it comes to going out and I was single, I was like in it to win it. I didn't care. I was going and talking to everyone that would listen. So I think, I honestly think though that guys here do appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest. I met two Danish lovers when I was there. So sometimes you got to do the work yourself. Sometimes you gotta go. Did you approach them or did they approach you? One approached me almost in a scary way. He kept saying, I want to eat your face, which he said he saw in an American movie. And I think he thought it was funny. And I was like, are you on bath salts? Because I don't know what that means. And then the other guy, I'm pretty sure I approached him and he was actually from Australia. So he wasn't even Danish. Um, so it's just a different culture. So it was interesting experiment yeah and I do find that as an American girl when you do go out in Europe you will find yourself paying for your own drinks more than you would in an American bar that's true like I made that mistake before studying not or not studying abroad going abroad one time in London and I went out to a pub and I was like got a blowout and I was like oh my gosh probably to get like a ton of free drinks or like have to talk to a ton of boys and like, no, like the bartender barely came up to me. I was like, what's going on here? And they're like, that's just not the culture like at all. So personal, actually speaking of culture, what do you think is the biggest difference between Danish culture and Spanish culture since you've lived in both countries? The biggest difference. 
So, okay, I'm a very, I, I love the five senses. I like things that smell good, look good. So I really appreciate aesthetics. And for me, Copenhagen is much more aesthetically pleasing than any other city I've ever been to. It doesn't matter if you go into the smallest cafe, the train station, your grandmother's apartment, everything is so well styled and so beautifully furnished. There's candles lit. There's like this sense of coziness. And I truly appreciate that. Like, I think it's so nice. Whereas in Spain, it's a little older. There's colorful tiles. There's it's its own culture. And that's also nice. But I really appreciate like white, clean lines. And I really like that about Copenhagen. But I would also say I prefer the food in Copenhagen compared to Barcelona. I will attest and say that the food in Denmark is some of the best food I've ever had, which is weird because I just don't ever remember hearing from anyone that you have to go to Denmark for their food or it's the best food city. Like you always hear that about other places. And I was like, every meal I had, I was like, this is the best I've ever had. Then we go to another dinner. I'm like, no, this is the best dinner I've ever had. And it just kept getting better. Like I can't even think of a slightly bad meal that I had in Copenhagen. No, I totally agree. And a lot of people don't know, but Noma has been the number one restaurant in the world, which is located in Copenhagen. They shut down, remodeled. I think this year it just came out. I want to say they're number two, but there's a hundred best restaurants in the world. And one through 10, there's like three in Copenhagen. So it is a huge food culture and people don't realize this, but everything is so delicate and beautifully placed and well-prepared, everything seasonal, sustainable. There's so much behind the food here. It's hard to explain until you see it, really. You told me a good tip, which is watch... What was the show on Netflix, Phil? Yeah, so the show is called Somebody Feed Phil. Yes. And he visits Copenhagen and Barcelona, actually. Um, He was the director of Everybody Loves Raymond. He's a little goofy, but it's nice to see the cities. And he goes to Copenhagen, and he goes to some of the more popular places. But also, you can see in the show, when he goes... To these places, everything is so beautifully done. It's almost like a piece of art. Yes. And you showed you told me to watch that show. And that's when I started really getting excited because I'll be honest, I had a totally different impression of Copenhagen in my head. I thought it was going to be like a little gloomy and moody and almost like England-ish with just like people wearing like sweaters and turtlenecks and minimalist and black and white and very like almost like New York-ish. I like don't know what I was thinking. And I thought the food, just because I had never heard of it, was going to be somewhat bland. Like I didn't even know what Scandinavian, I knew what like a Danish pastry was. So I was like, oh, it's going to be just like pastry and coffees. And then I watched that show and I got so excited because I was like, what is happening? All the, every single place he went, even if it was for breakfast, was a presentation plated every single meal. And that's what happened when we went. I was like, this is the most beautiful presentation I've ever seen at every meal. 
Exactly. And it's not like, oh, it's the places he went to in the show or, oh, I'm going to take you to these places. It is every place that is their culture. That is what they're known for. They go back generations of making these like farm to table meals and they're seasonal and they're beautiful. And people don't realize that because it is such a small country. There's 5 million people that live here. I think that's like equivalent to Miami. So, what? Yeah, it, it it's extremely small here. So of course people don't know about Copenhagen, but if you are lucky enough to come, I think the thing that is the most memorable when you leave is always the food. That's what people talk about. That's what they're known for. But until you come and experience it, I don't think people really can understand just how great it is. Yes, I agree. Because like I said, I had, a, I had a different perception and I just didn't hear a lot about it. And it's like, you have to go and see it to experience it. No, definitely. What is a typical day like in Copenhagen for the average Danish person or even you living there now? Okay, so I have two little girls and the typical day for me would be to wake up. We make them breakfast. Typical Danish breakfast would be porridge which is like oatmeal and some kind of fruit. And then at the age of one, children go to an institution, or that's a strong word. They say institution here, but I should refer to it as a school. They go to a daycare. So both of my girls are in school. They get dropped off. They go there for the day. And then my day is spent working on myself. Since I am not here I'm basically waiting for my green card here right now. I can only, I'm limited to what I can do. So I work on myself. I can read, I can write, but right now the weather is beautiful. You take your bike, you go for a bike ride, you go sit in the park, you enjoy a coffee. A big thing here is juices. You can go to a bar just to get a nice fresh juice. And then you can spend your day outside reading a book, enjoying nature. If you move here, people don't ask you what you do for work or, you know, what did you go to school for? They ask you, what are your hobbies? What sports do you play? That's, it's very outdoorsy here. So most people spend their days, of course, my husband goes to work all day, but after, you know, his coworkers are going and meeting up and playing tennis and doing squash, that's also popular here. Um, and then I pick up my girls from school and of course everybody rides a bike. So you have to get a bike even for your kids. And then we always enjoy dinner together as a family. And it's not just in our house. It's in every house in Denmark. You sit at a table, you have a plate, a real plate, not a paper plate. (laughs) You have a fork and a knife, a home cooked meal every single night. And everybody sits and enjoys it together. And I think that honestly is the most Danish thing you can do. You eat at a table, you enjoy the meal. There's always fresh flowers. There's always napkins. And it sounds so silly to say, but I think one of the strangest experiences for Casper when we first got to America was I said like, oh, let's go for dinner at my friend's house. My girlfriend wants to have us over. And we got there and she ordered one pizza. 
she served us on paper plates and she poured a bottle of wine into like four glasses equally, like filled to the brim. And I think he honestly was taken aback. Like, this is not America. He's like, this is not what I saw in movies. Like, do people really drink in red solo cups and use paper plates? And I'm like, honestly, yes. Because we are about convenience and fast living. And in Denmark, it doesn't matter what day it is. You enjoy your life. You eat a real meal. There's no takeout. There's no... Like, I don't want to say convenience, but it is a slower way of living. And I'm starting to appreciate that now, even though I do sometimes miss American convenience. What about the cozy time thing? Can you tell us what that's called and like what it's all about? I mean, I can try to tell you, but my husband will just laugh at me, but it's called Hugge. And it Y G G E everyone. Yes. And they use it as a verb and it's used in everyday language. You hear it all the time. And it really is kind of what I just explained, but also with candles, with flowers, you, you would never invite people over and order takeout. I know it sounds strange and repetitive because I just mentioned it, but If you're going to invite guests over, you're going to make everything from scratch. Some of the herbs are from your garden, some of the vegetables and fruits. And that's kind of how it is here. It's a coziness of enjoying every moment together. And I mean, we just had his parents over the other day. And anytime we do dessert, it's, you know, fresh Danish strawberries and then whipped cream And your first thought is like, oh, whipped cream, whatever. No, no, you take the cream, you put it in a bowl, you take a whisk, and you start to make it yourself. Like, that is the Danish way. And it is, it kind of brings you back a few years. You're almost like wondering, why don't they just, you know, buy it in a can? Or why don't they, why would they take this time to do it? But it is a cultural thing and it is that coziness of making it yourself and appreciating what you're doing and then offering that to your guests. So that is part of it. But the biggest thing is definitely candles. You'll find them everywhere, whether you're in a, you could go into a bathroom. I just had my family visiting and we went to a really nice restaurant, which I highly recommend called the mass And when we went, my sister was like, wow, take a picture of these candles in the bathroom. And I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> like, every every bathroom has candles in Denmark. And she was like, I never see this. And it was just funny because I'm so used to it now that I didn't realize like, oh, it is a beautiful thing or it is a little different than the norm. But I think it's the little things that add up that make the Danish coziness of sitting down, enjoying your time. And of course, for them, a big one also is alcohol. They love to drink. I actually did not know that either until I got there. I, I had no idea what I was thinking. And then we went on that tour and they said, because they're like a Viking heritage that they're just constantly drinking. And I was not prepared for the level of drinking. I think I drank more in Denmark than I have the entire year of 2019. Oh, definitely. I mean, but it really is a part like when we go to his parents' house for lunch, 
it's not a question of would you like a drink? It's here's a glass of champagne to start. Here's the white wine that's going with the starter. Here's a red wine for the entree. And then we're going to have a Bailey's with dessert or a cognac. And you, you never say no. You would never. It's just a part of their culture. And it's not that it's his parents. It's everyone here. It doesn't matter if you're in the countryside or in Copenhagen. Everybody here participates in that. And I think it's nice. Someone we're going to go to Copenhagen for three or four days. What are absolute must-haves on there? And they can be restaurants, tours, locations. Like They have to see it if they're going to have the Copenhagen experience. Okay, so depending on your budget, if you have a higher budget, I would say one of the best restaurants you could get a reservation into, and that's great, is called Amass, A-M-A-S-S. And everything is grown on property, and it's a beautiful experience, and it's really one of a kind. Um, As for something to do, I think Tivoli is a big one. It's called Tivoli Gardens. It's in the center of Copenhagen, and it's this amazing amusement park. Actually, Walt Disney went back after coming to Tivoli Gardens and decided to open up Disney World. Like he got his inspiration out of it, which is kind of interesting coming from Florida. But it's not just an amusement park where you go to do rides rather than you go to see the flowers for a nice walk. You go to the restaurants. They have a great restaurant in there. I can't remember the name, but they have traditional Danish food. It's fantastic. And I would also say the round tower is great so that you can get a city view. You and Amelia did that, right? Yep. Went up. It was really pretty view. It was definitely a quicker thing. It was like 30 minutes. Exactly. It's something that you go, you walk up, you see the view appreciate it and then kind of move on with your day but I do think it's nice and honestly there's a lot of beautiful parks here that I would recommend Fredericksburg Gardens is beautiful um and to just get like an open face sandwich and go sit in the park is kind of the best way to see Denmark and now that I said that I have to include riding bicycles you have to rent bikes have to ride a bike. What's a really popular Danish dish that people should be absolutely getting when they go there? I would say probably the Danish meatballs. A lot of people don't know that, but they are definitely known for it. And then, of course, an open face sandwich. You have to try it when you're here. My favorite is called a shooting star, which is like a fish fillet with shrimp on top. And the only rule when eating in Denmark is you cannot use your hands. So you have to use a fork and knife, even though it's a sandwich. That's, I had to learn that the hard way. And I'll tell you guys what I did, which was super fun that Brianna probably might think is touristy, but we did one of the boat tours in the canal. It's called New Haven in English. And that's obviously the really popular Instagram photo you see with all the different colored houses on the water very touristy though. Like if you're going to eat there, everything is so expensive because it's basically just like a tourist lane, but it was really cool to walk around and just do the boat tour and hear about the history. And then what was it? Bridge house kitchen or bridge street kitchen? Oh yeah. I want to say it's called in English bridge street kitchen. 
Bridge Street Kitchen. And it's like a little market outside. And it just says like different cuisines, like traditional Danish, a rosé little bar, um, like Indian food. There was like a few different options. And that's where I had the shooting star sandwich. I wanted the starfish sandwich. And you're like, what are you talking about? (laughs) So get the shooting star sandwich, you guys. That's like so popular. I absolutely love that. And then Brianna and Casper did not want to do this, but I made them take me to Freetown. Oh, Christiania. Okay, so this is like a hippie combine that basically is what Woodstock was supposed to be, where it's just a basically community of hippies that barter and trade. They are completely, what would you say? It's not isolated, but like they're not part of like Danish society in terms of like taxes and going to work every day. And like, that's not how they're living. Exactly. They don't pay taxes and they're living off the land and it's a small community and you can't just show up with your suitcase and move in. You have to be basically now born into it. And they sell weed there, which is basically, it's not legal, right? But the cops kind of turn a blind eye and then once in a while will go in and try to put their foot down. Exactly. So it's a very different experience. Um, I would say that was probably one of the biggest culture shocks if you haven't seen anything like that, to walk through something like that that is just such a different community than what you're used to. But also seeing people in the wide open having like almost weed stands that were very similar to if you literally went to a market, a farmer's market, and people have like candle stands or bath stand, like bath salt stands. It literally just people having marijuana in their little stand. And I was like, this is so different, but I just thought it was really interesting. And it was a kind of a funny juxtaposition against, in my opinion, how like classy and elegant Denmark is where everyone dresses super nice and the presentation. And it's all about cozy time to see this like totally different part of Denmark. But I think it made the trip much more fun because I was like, this is just cool to see because we don't have this, especially in Orlando, Florida. No, definitely. And I actually think that it is a one of a kind experience in the sense that there's nothing like it even in Europe. And I want to say, let alone the world. Yes, it was, it was very different. I would say the best part of my trip was the dinner that I went to with your friends, because it was one of those things that in basically one sitting, I got to see so much culture. Like I saw how they take their time to talk to people how the couples don't have to sit together and they genuinely care about what you say, how they plate and present, how they do the drinking. Like you said, we started with white wine, then we moved to red wine and drinking was such a part of the culture. It was like kind of Danish culture all wrapped up into that three hours. So that was one of my favorite parts as well as riding bikes with you and Casper. And we got to go and see the Freetown area. And just like, I feel like riding bikes is so Danish. It was so fun to do. And then the one night that we were on the, um, the New Haven area. It was at nighttime and we had been drinking so much wine and we were just like giggling and had, we were almost like delirious from just traveling and partying. And we were just like making fun of our whole, like what has been happening the last few days. And we just sat there dying that even the people in the restaurant were like dying at us laughing because they like couldn't believe how much we were laughing. That was probably the most memorable. That was the best. Okay. We're going to play a little game called Danish or Spanish where you have to rapid fire answer which you prefer. Okay. Ready? Danish food or Spanish food? Danish. Danish boys or Spanish boys? Spanish. Oh, Casper. He's going to be mad. 
Okay. Okay. What about Danish or Spanish um, attractions? Spanish. Danish or Spanish culture? Danish. Danish or Spanish fashion? Spanish. Danish or Spanish language? Spanish. (laughs) Sorry, Denmark. Danish or Spanish drinks? Danish. Danish or Spanish... What's another one? I think we run out. Customs. What about their customs? Oh, Danish. Danish. Danish or Spanish holidays? Danish. Okay, I think Danish won your little round. It's oh, Spanish with English, but I think, I mean, you are basically part of the Danish community now, so you got to represent, but Spanish was a big part of that. Yeah, I, I equally love both. I'm half Spanish, but I'm married to a Dane, so... I think it's a good balance. Yeah, it was a good balance. Well, this was so much fun because I feel like we didn't only cover our trips. We gave some good tips. We can link some of these places, not only in the show notes, but I can talk about it on an Instagram post and like tag some of these amazing restaurants. But you also gave a view into actually living there so that when people go to visit, they know what to expect. Like they know about this cozy time. They know about the longer lunches and dinners They know to eat with a fork and knife in Denmark. So I feel like now people are armed and ready to visit without feeling like they have no idea what to do. Definitely. This was so fun. Thanks for having me. Okay. Say your last name one more time. (laughs) Look at go. Okay. You guys don't have to worry about spelling that. I'm going to tag Brianna when I post this in the show notes so that you guys can follow her. Are you really serious that people can DM you and you'll create a little plan for them? Absolutely. I would love to help anyone going to Barcelona or Copenhagen. I've been to other cities, but I would say those two, I can really recommend anything for anybody. Amazing. Okay. So we're going to give you Brianna's handle, reach out to her. If you have any questions, especially traveling in Europe, hopefully you guys can reach out to me soon about Australia when I have more of a handle on living there, but let's end with saying bye in Danish. How do you say that? Hi, hi. Hi, hi. (laughs) Hi, hi, everyone. (laughs) It's the opposite of America. Exactly. (laughs) All right. Hi, hi, everyone. Adios. And tune in next week when we do another episode of In My Non-Expert Opinion. Bye, everyone. Well, that wraps up part two of the Euro trip recap and living abroad. I hope you guys found a ton of value, especially hearing from someone who has actually lived there from Brianna. That's really great insight to have. Again, you can always DM her, Brianna Lickegaard, which I'll link in the show notes. You can follow me at Chelsea Reif, which I'll link in the show notes as well. And you can email the podcast, hello at inmynonexpertopinion.com. We come out with uh, episodes every single Thursday. And I just made really awesome stickers that aren't overly brand like they're actually really cool that you can put on your phone or your laptop or your journal they're not again there's not like my face on it I'm not gonna have you guys walking around town with my face on your laptop although who knows if you want that let me know and I'll put a request into my designer but I have really awesome stickers so let me know if you leave a review and I'm happy to send you some again it just helps out the podcast a ton and it helps me book some awesome guests including ones I have coming on in the next few weeks So remember, I don't have all the facts, but I sure have a lot of non-expert opinions, and I will see you guys next Thursday.